as I mentioned earlier today, is Unity and Justice Sunday for many churches throughout the church. Uh, this was uh, thought up primarily by two pastors, uh, Jeff Warren at Park Cities Baptist Church and Brian Carter at Concord Missionary Baptist Church. They have met for many years and developed a very close friendship and have kind of had the role of leading evangelical churches in the city of Dallas. Um, I'm fairly new to being involved in those meetings, partially because Grace is smaller, so uh, I didn't always know what was going on and get invited. Um, and partially because it's a lot of Baptists. I'm just, when we meet, I, I, I am the stick in the mud. They've got all that energy and, and um, compassion, and it's so great, and I'm just, you know, that guy. But, but it has been a meaningful time to come together with these men. Uh, these are men, uh, many of the leaders in this group are Dallas Seminary grads. They pastor churches that are committed to the inerrancy of Scripture, and um, they are men of deep love of Christ, and it's been a privilege for me to be a part of it. Um, obviously, there are differences. If you have two preachers in a room, there'll be at least three opinions. So we, we have differences among ourselves, but there's been unbelievable respect shown to each other. And so when they asked us to consider this, I thought it would be a good way that we as a church could step into this decision. Uh, some have indicated, but why are we getting into the race issue? It's so delicate. It's so offensive to people. And I would say, because we're already in it. Uh, I can't tell you how many people offline want to talk to me about race, especially younger people for whom this is a new issue. And, and so I, I think it's important that the church step into it. And secondly, I think it's incredibly important that we come alongside of churches that stand for the right response, peaceful response, united response, just response, and support them because if we don't, the other voices will be the voices that are heard. So that is the spirit with which I'm coming. I hope you know with humility, and I hope that all of our hearts will be open to learn and grow in Christ Jesus. So our text that they suggested is one that you can't argue with, Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Micah, as you know, was an Old Testament prophet. He lived in the 7th and 8th century B.C. He spoke to both the northern and southern kingdoms. And, and verses 1 through 8 are beautifully done. It is, it is the prophet speaking to the nation as if they are brought before a court in trial. So read with me Micah 6, beginning verse 1. And verses 1 through 2 are the, is the trial summons. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Uh, this is like so many of the prophets. Uh, the prophet speaks on behalf of God to his people, uh, the ethnic people of Israel who, who are called to worship God as children of Abraham, even though they're a divided kingdom at this point. And, and God uses the prophet to speak to them about his heart for them. Notice he is still their God. He doesn't write them off. He's still faithful to them in their brokenness. But as Hebrews 12 said, uh, a loving father will discipline his children, and this is a statement of God's discipline to his people. It begs the question, what is God's 
case against us today. If God were to call us before him today, what would be the things that we are blind to that we don't see? Can I say to you that I think, at least in my case, maybe not yours, there are way too many. In other words, the more I walk with the Lord, the closer I get to the light of his countenance, the more aware of just how broken I am in how many ways. The the fact of the matter is his, his holiness is blinding for those of us who are broken. So it, it should not be hard for us to submit to his reprimand because we all know we fall short of his glory. In verses 3 through 5, he gives the prosecution. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. Uh, obviously a little sarcastic. God is saying to the people, what exactly have I done to let you down? Uh, let's talk about the record. Verse 4, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to you and Aaron and Miriam. I, I gave you human leaders who led you from horrible slavery and brought you freedom. Are you angry for that? Uh, verse 5 is a little more obtuse for us. My, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. That's from Numbers 22 through 24. We don't know that story as well. Balak was a man of a king of Moab who called upon Balaam who had prophetic powers and demanded that he bring a curse on Israel and God would not allow the curse. If you remember, it ultimately Balaam's donkey confronted him when an angel stood before him, which has led to many, many people jokes about God using donkeys for his speaking. And, and the fact of the matter is that it's just one more case where God intervened for Israel to help save them when they were under difficulty. The last one is even less quick to understand. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. Well, at first thought, you think, well, those are two different cities. Uh, What's that journey? If you look at Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, in Shittim, the men of Israel committed immorality with the Moabite women and broke their covenant with God. And Gilgal, according to Joshua 2, 1, and 3, 1, is where they crossed the Jordan and restored their covenant. So that phrase is referring to God's continued love of his people and provision for them even during a time when they lived outside of his covenant promise. What is God saying? I'm faithful to you. I'm faithful to you. Remember those things so that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God's grace is righteous because God's grace is ultimately provided for in Jesus' death on the cross. He he can be gracious and merciful because he ultimately pays the price for the sins of the world through Jesus' death on the cross for those who place their faith and hope in his plan of redemption. So the prosecution is God saying, what exactly did I do to fail you? Verses 6 through 8 are two responses. First, by Israel. Well, 
Well, with what shall I come before the Lord and buy down before the exalted God? What, what else can I do, Lord? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, referring to the sacrificial system? Can I bring a calf according to the Old Testament commands and restore my relationship that way? Uh, that sounds fairly reasonable, but watch where it goes. Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams and with 10,000 rivers of oil? Suddenly, they use hyperbole that shows, I think, their lack of sincerity. What if I brought everything? What if I, I, what if I brought thousands of rams? The only time in the Bible thousands of animals were offered that I recall is at the dedication of Solomon's temple where the wealth of Solomon was required to do something like that. An average person couldn't do that, and I don't, I don't even know how you would fulfill 10,000 rivers of oil. And the last one shows God's opinion of their real heart. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Child sacrifice was, was common in, in the paganism, the Canaanite religions, which God used Israel to bring judgment on. He hates child sacrifice because God values the life of every individual. And, and, and they act as though by this great sacrifice I should gain your forgiveness. But in doing so, they show their adherence to evil ideas. Verse 8, Moses, excuse me, Micah gives the famous response on behalf of God. He says, he showed you, O man, what is good. God has shown you. It's in the law. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, some rabbis are quoted as saying, chapter 6, verse 8, is a great summary of all of the intention of the law. It, it, it reflects the character of God and his expectation for us. And, and it sums up, how do we respond to God's grace in our lives? We who have received so much grace and forgiveness and kindness from God, we who have been allowed the benefits of childhood of God in spite of our brokenness, how can we respond? And he gives a three-point idea to Act justly. Uh, justice is, is living out our treatment of others in a way that's consistent with the character of God. It, it's fairness, but it, it's fairness according to His perfect will. And, and we all desire it. I believe that our, the community of grace is committed to justice. I, I, this is not going to be a sermon bashing grace because I don't think that's true. This is a sermon speaking to all of us of how can we better live according to God's perfect will. Uh, we often see injustices that are directed toward us. The, the evangelical church has been vocal in its, its commitment to the unborn because we believe every life is precious. And therefore, when, when the unborn are treated like uh, fetal tissue to be discarded, we have argued for their defense, not because we look down at people that are struggling with those issues, but we just want to defend the unborn. There are multiple areas where our commitments to the justice and righteousness of God cause us to step into the public square and call 
these things out. Now one of the areas that Christian churches are struggling with is, is the perceived, at least, in, uh, injustices directed to the church by more and more uh, groups who, who want to punish us in different ways, restrict our meetings, uh, limit um, what we say, and that, that tension is real and evident. And thankfully, there are, there are Christian organizations that stand watch to constantly defend us um, to ensure that, that we're fairly treated under the law. Um, the, the reality is that we struggle with seeing injustices toward other people. We're not as attuned to that sometimes. And sometimes we need help to see those. The real problem with justice is justice is sometimes really hard to evaluate. Any one time someone says to me, we just need to do so-and-so, the just doesn't fit in justice because, because justice is often difficult to ascertain. You remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3 when Solomon wisely asked God for wisdom and then in later in chapter 3, his wisdom is demonstrated when two prostitutes bring a child in an argument over whose baby it is. And Solomon has no way to know whose baby it is, so he, in his unbelievable wisdom, asks for a sword to cut the baby in half so he can divide up each ways. And re knowing that, that the mother, the true mother, would be willing to give up her child to save him. Perhaps a subtle uh, indication that God was willing to give up his child to save us. And it, you, you see how hard justice is to ascertain. If you've ever been involved in business negotiations, uh, both parties will come to the idea of what's right. Well, one of the real temptations of Christian business is we assume that because we're both Christians, we'll immediately decide the right way to divide it. But the fact is, we all have our own uh, understanding and our own uh, tensions that come into it, and oftentimes Christian negotiations are much more painful because we go through the shock of finding out that what you think is right is not what I think is right. Justice is not always easy to find. It takes wisdom, and oftentimes it's a struggle to find it, but, but we dare not quit trying, right? Uh, secondly, to love mercy. The word is to love chesed. I love saying that word. It's one of the great words of the Old Testament. It's translated in the King James, loving kindness. It's oftentimes translated in modern translations, um, covenantal love. It's love that you can count on because I have promised covenantally to give it. It is a statement of loyal love. Uh, can I say something to you social justice warriors? Social justice can become a kind of legalism. It, it, it can become, uh, you can become so convinced of the importance of it that love gets pushed away. And, and notice that in Micah 6, 8, both are required. Even in our calling, uh, our community and ourselves, beginning always with ourselves to justice, it should always be bathed and compassionate love. 1 Corinthians 13, patience and kindness and goodness. The reality is that oftentimes we'll come to a point over a number of years and then expect everyone else to get to the same understanding we have in, in a couple of minutes. And the reality is that, that there has to be love in all of these discussions. There has to be um, a kindness and, a, and the last term, humility. Humility. 
humility. Uh, these are conversations that have to be given in humility because who am I to say I got it all figured out? If I know the darkness of my heart. I know the thoughts that I have that I'm grateful you can't hear. So how can I come down on you in a judgmental and mean-spirited way? How can I not be humble as we have these conversations? These all go together as a part of how we pursue the responsibility we have before God. And one of the problems that we have is that, in my opinion, during the days of the moral majority, we, we did not show love and humility. We were clear and our call for certain issues of justice for the own barn and other things. But, but because we did not communicate love and humility, we lost an audience and many of our children today. We dare not make that mistake again. I know on one level we all wish this whole conversation would go away. Can I assure you that our black brothers and sisters wish it more than we? Uh, they're weary of the subject, and I, I think... This, uh, this time brought on by George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the other killings has, has hit my black friends with a deep sense of weariness. I've seen so many of them post that because it just feels like it'll never go away. They aren't enjoying this, at least not our evangelical brothers and sisters. Um, let me say quickly, we have always had an issue with the color of skin. The, the, as, as you know, uh, African people were brought to America in the 1600s and were soon put into enslavement. I, I read a lot of history. The founding fathers knew this issue was a problem when they drafted the Constitution and made the agreement to come together. And there were some who fought to, to eliminate slavery from the colonies, but they, they made the decision that if they did that, they would never create the nation, and they, they just hoped it would go away. Literally, multiple founders hoped that in time, our people would see the reality of it, it would go away. Of course, slavery didn't end until the horrible bloodbath of the American Civil War. And, and one of the heartaches of this is that the Christian church was so caught up in, in the world around us that we failed to see the evil of slavery. And, and all the major denominations created southern denominations so that they could defend slavery, which is one reason we created so much heartache. The 20th century, uh, did you know that as late as 1910 there were lynchings in Dallas and Tyler, my hometown? In the 1920s, the KKK dominated much of Dallas's uh, politics. A high percentage of all the men in Dallas were members of the KKK. There's a wonderful article that describes how the Dallas Morning News stood against the KKK and brought them down. And then ironically, there's another one that talks about how the uh, Dallas Morning News under another dealie helped uh, create the MacArthur area problem. So, you know, it, it's just fascinating to see that different generations have different struggles and we look back and we can judge them, but mistakes are made by all of us. Um, military segregation continued until Truman stopped it. Um, it's hard to understand how we didn't see all of this. 
uh, many of you know that when Julie and I first married, we bought a commercial child care center in East Texas, and, and we had wonderful teachers. They loved the children. They were amazing, but I'll never forget one day a little black boy and a little white girl in the four-year-old class sat next to each other, and one of our teachers came to me and said, I'm a Christian, and, and my brother teaches and, and I know the curse of the sons of Ham, so black boys and white girls aren't supposed to sit together. And, and I said, ma'am, respectfully, you're perverting scripture. The curse of Genesis 9.25 is on the Canaanites, the sons of Canaan, whom God will have to defeat in order to give the promised land to Israel. You have distorted scripture to use it against black people. And, and those kinds of things that taught even by the Christian church are, are part of why the hurt and resentment go so deep. But in the 60s, we went through incredibly difficult times, much like now. But a lot of progress was made. Voting Rights Act, civil rights legislation, fair housing, affirmative action, business contract set-asides, Housing protection and other reforms came about. And frankly, the laws were not perfect. In fact, some of the problems we have today were caused by well-intended changes brought back in the past. I was watching an online thing, and one of the older godly pastors of South Dallas said, you know, uh, our black businesses in South Dallas were put out of business by desegregation because they, they weren't prepared to compete. And we lost so much of that. It was, it was well-intended. Desegregation was something we hoped would help. But one of the unintentional consequences was that it harmed the small businesses in the black community. Welfare, at times, rewarded broken families. Again, not intending to, but intending to help families that are in the greatest difficulty. And yet, uh, we oftentimes have, have failed because, candidly, we don't have the wisdom of Solomon. And too often, too often, when we try to do the right thing, forces come involved and, and try to turn it for their personal benefit. Now, for many of us who are white, we step back and say, look, we've, got a black, we've had a black president. You have blacks, I mean, for heaven's sakes, you have Oprah, who is as big as some states. We have celebrities in the media and sports. We have interracial marriage and dating. Um, What's all the fuss about? Even in Dallas, our, our mayor, our police chief, our city manager are all black. So isn't the problem solved? And, and, and let me say, of course, we've made huge progress. I am so grateful for our city to, to take these kind of steps because I remember what it used not be. And, and I am weary of, of some who want to bash our city and our nation because it isn't perfect yet when they're not willing to uh, give kudos for how far we've come, the sacrifices that were made by those that were others before them. You know, I, the problem is our nation is a nation of sinners. Our city is a city of sinners. The reality is that uh, I believe deeply in our Constitution and our, our Bill of Rights. They're brilliant documents, but because we're sinners, we don't live them out well. Right? We, we said all men are created equal, but we didn't live it out very well. And our, our city, we have laws for protection of people, but because we're sinners, we don't live them out well. 
And, and we're always going to struggle with that. But, but we're called on as Christians to do the right thing. Um, right now is an important time. Because of what's happened in our city, because of the George Floyd death, the Aubrey um, death, I'm sorry, I started to call him some another Aubrey from my past name. Um, the evangelical black church has come to us and said, will you join us together and show us some love? And, and can I say in all of these meetings, I've not ever once been told how I must vote. I've never once been told um, there are only certain. Now, I hear opinions. Some I agree with, some I don't agree with. But, but what they're begging for is us to join together in the name of Jesus and, and show the world that the love of Christ extends beyond all the barriers, whether it's racial barriers, economic barriers, even political barriers. One of the struggles that I have when this all started, one of the reasons I sweat bullets is because we don't have a terribly racially diverse church, but we have a, a, verse, a church that's very diverse as it relates to generations and even political affiliations. We have people who are very, very conservative politically and people that aren't, and, and I hear from both groups. And one of the sadnesses to me is that I'm grateful that the gospel of Jesus, the name of Jesus, is big enough to bring us together. But I am sometimes saddened that we, we get so caught up in defending our position that we fail to give grace and, and kindness in the way we speak and, and in the way we listen and the way we treat each other. Um, and that's what we're calling upon the city to do. Uh, part of, by the way, can I give one other aside? Can I, can I make one other point? I've been told, well, when you talk about that, you're condemning the police. I am not in any way condemning the police. In fact, we need the police more than ever. The reality is that we need to support the police and pray for the police. I, um, many of you know I have this thing about clocks. I, I bought a great deal in East Texas, an old um, a grandfather clock, 100 years old, and of course it stopped. And so I brought in a clock repairman. Turned out he's a police officer from Arlington and a Roman Catholic gentleman, and we got to talking. And can I t get a pencil and write down shield, S-H-I-E-L-D, dash, a dash b a d g e badge dot org shieldabadge.org he has three brothers of the four sons three are in the police department and his mother started praying for her kids and created this nonprofit before she died and if you will go online to that they will send you a local policeman and ask you to pray for them every day that they will be protected and they they will make wise decisions we need to support and pray for the police but but we also called all people to do the right thing, right? Pray for them. Support them. There's just so much fear in the air right now. Gun sales have gone out of the roof. In, in the black and white community, one thing I read said, because well, the black community is hearing about defunding the police, and they're scared. The, the reality is we, we, we know that that there are forces out there that are evil and people are scared. Black people are afraid of a abusive power by white people. Is that fair? Well, if I knew their history, I might view it differently. But there's so much fear and when we're irrational and fearful, we don't always act with love. 
Our black brothers and sisters are coming to us and saying, join us in praying for to help us advance. We know the history of what has happened to black people in our country. We understand that it's been hard. We, we know there's been progress, but men and women, when you dig a hole, and we've been digging a hole for hundreds of years, when you stop digging, you're still in a hole. And, and I believe in many ways we've stopped digging, but, but it's going to take us a while to climb out of that hole and restore people to where they should be. And there, there are issues that we can join them in. We, can, we all care about health care and how to make it available and fair. And, and there's not only one way to do it, but it's a problem we all should care about because the cost of not providing for people runs up other costs as well. Inferior schools. Our public school system is, is struggling so much. But schools are desperately important for a democracy. Economic disadvantages and criminal justice. I don't believe in Black Lives Matter.org. I've looked at their site. It's Marxist. It's anti-God. Uh, my friends that talk about Black Lives Matter aren't talking about the organization. They're just saying... Show us the same value you show other people. But we don't use that phrase at grace uh, primarily because we don't want to get confused with those movements. Can we agree that the Bible says that we're all made in the image of God, whether red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in His sight? And as made in the image of God, we're all the objects of God's love, but we're all broken and sinful. And that Jesus gave His life for people of all races, all colors, all tribes, According to the book of Galatians, there's no division according to those strata in the body of Christ. When we're in heaven, we'll all be there together. So why not start coming together now? Um, the theology is easy to understand. So where do we go from here? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Verse 27, uh, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And a priest who offers sacrifices happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, those mixed race, uh, disobedient people, because they did not worship Jerusalem. They had created their own religion. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus said, go and do likewise. I think this is one of the most beautiful examples 
of Micah 6.8. Notice it, it, it is a concern for someone you don't even know. It's a concern for someone who's not like you. Who is your neighbor? Someone who has a need. I know this passage so well because in 1984 I put on Dallas Seminary's 60th anniversary founders banquets. We did five, uh, fed 7,800 people in five banquets in Dallas and then 2,400 people in two banquets in Houston. Seven banquets, over 10,000 people and Chuck Swindoll spoke at all seven of them and preached this text. I can, for years, I felt like I could preach a sermon, not as well, but I heard him preach it over and over and over again. Who then is your neighbor? It's the person who has need. And, and what this is saying is that we are called to express the love of Christ in our day-to-day lives by caring for our neighbor. An exact example of this occurs in many ways in Acts chapter 6. And, and the church has begun to grow and the number of disciples is increasing. And the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews among them, complained about the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from you that you know to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry. So much wisdom here. First of all, notice they didn't fit in themselves. Uh, these are the apostles. They would have had every right to say, do you know who we are? We're very busy. And we walked with Jesus. And you're complaining about this? But instead, they recognize that human nature sees its own problems and doesn't see the problems of others. And so rather than arguing, they just found a way to solve it so that they could go on and expand the essential issues of the kingdom. Incredibly powerful. What does this mean? How, how do I know what I'm called to do in order to live out Micah 6.8? Can I suggest something that I'm simple? Some of you will know much more intricate solutions to this. Can I just say Matthew 7.12? We call it the golden rule. So in everything you do to others, what you would have them do to you? Because that sums the law and the prophets. What, what I'm asking us to do as it relates to our city and, and other people and people that are different, but people who are looking to us for our love, their love and support, uh, what I would say is just step back and say, if I were in their shoes, what would I want them to do for me? And, and it's a struggle to do that because we, we think of things from our own perspective and we're, we're good at defending our own situation. But, but Jesus himself said, just step back and say, if I were in their shoes, what would I happen to do for me? I don't think grace is an uncaring church. I, I'm amazed at people you've accepted and loved and cared for. Throughout its history, at least in my time here, this church has been aggressive in, in caring for people. We, we started the Fair Park Friendship Center in church that, under Mike Fisher's leadership, and for a time it was a huge force in providing for needy people in the Fair Park area, and we helped start the church there and supported them for many years. We started a Hispanic congregation here for a couple of years that uh, through which many 
people came to Christ. It no longer is here for multiple reasons, but, but it cost our church significant money to do, and, and we've not looked back because it was the right thing to do. We have we've have people of different races historically on our staff and in our officers. Uh, and it's just hard to be treated badly when you come to Grace. No matter how you're dressed or anything else, it, it's, I really do love who this church is. And today, we, we have a number of people who go and serve at Calier Elementary. And the thing that's fascinating about that, I was criticized because it was just secular service. It had nothing to do with the gospel. But we, we, we went in and read to them, and members did, and, and we gave gifts for their clubs and, and bought things to expand the church and put in a garden and cleaned up. And you know what there happens now there? I am so proud of the group, Marge Vandergalen and Betsy Edmondson. You know what they do? They operate Beach Club, which is a gospel club after hours. And parents, because they have seen the love of Christ and the way we've responded to that community, allow their kids to come to Beach Club someday when school exists again and, and hear the gospel. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? As, as the old saw goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and all I'm saying is that we are called upon to demonstrate the love of Christ in the world around us. That's what God wants us to do. And now Cornerstone Baptist Church in South Dallas, we have a partnership with them. And I got to tell you, that thing has the potential to change a community. We have found a church that is so deeply committed to the Word of God. I asked Pastor Chris one time. He filled several thousand meals for the homeless every week, thousands of meals for a homeless. And I said, I assume you use the North Texas Food Bank. He said, oh, no, no, I don't use the North Texas Food Bank. I said, really, why not? Wouldn't it be cheaper? He said, they won't let me require people to hear the Bible taught and hear the gospel. And my gospel isn't, sell for a, isn't for sale for $1.50 a plate. I get my food elsewhere. That's the kind of, he, he has shown a, a, <laughs> a ferocious defense of the gospel, and yet he's caring for people, and we have the opportunity to come alongside of him and help economic development, which is a huge way to pr advance African-American people in the city of Dallas is, is to come alongside them and, and just give them the little bit of help they need to overcome obstacles that they may need so that they can have their own companies and their own jobs and support themselves, which is all that they want. That's where we are. Our church is doing a lot, and it's doing it because of the character of our community. But can we do more? First, I think we have to admit that as a nation, as a city, we, we, there are injustices. Um, Leviticus 2640. I know all of you are reading Leviticus this morning in your quiet time. One of my favorite books, not so much for most of you. Leviticus 2640. If they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and hostility toward me, which made me hostile, then I will remember my covenant. Uh, scripture says there's a place for confessing our sins of those who have gone before us. The reason that's important is so that we don't repeat it. We acknowledge it so that we start a new way and, and because that allows for forgiveness and, and relationships with the people that we've harmed. There is a place for being honest about our own bigotry and the bigotry that has gone on before us. 
Now, I don't think we're supposed to be in constant repentance, but there's a, there's a place as a community for lamenting that sadness so that we can go on from here. Um, I don't believe I'm guilty for what my forefathers did. There is stuff being written now that, that seems to try to make every white person guilty for everything that's gone on, and I, I find no biblical support for that. I've got enough guilt for the things I've done. The reality is, though, that, that there's a place for admitting it and agreeing to it so that we can go on. And sometimes that means we may have to learn what has happened. And, and, but we can listen. Um, one of the speakers on this I love the most is Tony Evans. Uh, Tony and I know each other slightly from our days of the seminary. Um, he is brilliant. He's a great communicator. He He's a great writer, and uh, he has given very simple steps of how we move forward. And one of the things he said was just look to your own heart before God and then build relationships. Proximity is the term he uses. Uh, uh, build relationships with people that aren't like you because over, as we come to know each other and gain trust, then we can grow together. And then he said as you build those relationships, go serve someone else that's in a worse position because by serving together in that context, we can help restore the city. And I, I, I hope some of us will start taking those steps through Calier, through Cornerstone, in our community, in our workplace, to help bring trust and restoration to our community. But let me be clear. Justice isn't the greatest need. The gospel is the greatest need. Don't, don't take anything what I'm saying. The, the biggest issue is the sin of our hearts that needs forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation through Jesus' death on the cross. But this is the way that we live that out as a testimony to the world and as a demonstration of who God is. And I think we can do that. We're not going to eradicate racism. Every once in a while I'll read someone that says, we're going to eradicate racism in our day. And that is grossly naive and theologically indefensible. The fact of the matter is there will always be sin and racism is sin, but we can make a difference in our little world as we reach out and are obedient to Scripture and do our parts together. Uh, some have asked about the devotional that I sent, the prayer guide that I sent about who it came from. Um, was it meant to be political? I can assure you it wasn't. Um, does it show a bias towards certain needs and issues? Of course it does. Um, it's, it was done by these pastors that I pray together. But let me read to you the pledge they're asking people to sign. And I think it shows where their real heart is. We commit to learn about our city's racial history and its role in our current realities. In other words, know the truth about how we got here. And engage in opportunities to understand my own racial biases. Um, and this is to our black and white brothers. All of us need to understand that we, we struggle in this area. I constantly struggle with stereotyping other people and, and making those things because I'm fallen. And each time I say, God, forgive me. Number three is the key one. Act in peace and nonviolence to eliminate racial inequities in our community. In other words, use appropriate means to try to do what I believe is fair. And finally, seek to do justice every day in my sphere of influence. And I don't think anyone here disagrees with that. 
If you want to read more about uh, these issues, members of our staff can direct you toward other reading materials. We're not going to force this down people's throats. This isn't going to become a politicized church, I promise you. Our focus is the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ and the Son of God and worship in Him. But part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is demonstrating His love and His character in the world. And these are issues that are part of it. And I think this church has historically done good things, not perfectly, but I think better days are ahead of us. And I hope you're excited about that too. We're all not going to agree. We're going to have people to vote one way in November and people to vote the opposite way. And we should treat each other with respect and dignity and not speak of other people because they vote differently as if they're somehow lesser Christians. We may not understand why they come to those conclusions, but we respect that. Tony Evans said that in one of his messages, and I was so grateful for his courage to say that in a community where it's hard to say. But the righteousness and justice... Mercy and love of God are not optional. And all of us desire it. And what I'm asking you today is consider how we individually and we as a church can demonstrate in the world around us. Don't just post on Facebook. Do something. Do something today. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives that you are merciful to us is beyond our comprehension. Father, we thank you that you love us for all of our brokenness in our lives and, and you have demonstrated your loves. And, and we are so unbelievably blessed. And help us not to hold on to that blessing in fear that others will take it away from us, but instead share those blessings of your message, your gospel, your character with the world around us. Help us as the body of Christ in Dallas to make such a display of your character that the world around us has to take notice. And help us do it in a way, Father, that doesn't bring glory to us but does to you and in a way that is allows for individual statement, individual production, individual growth. It's in the name of Jesus, our perfect Savior, that we pray. Amen.